Welcome back. Sharon Draper was a good teacher, a really good teacher, the National Teacher of the Year. But as much as she loved teaching, one of her students expected that she was also very talented in another way and challenged her to enter a national writing competition. Sharon Draper won first place in that contest and caught the attention of a very famous writer, Alex Haley, who encouraged her to keep writing. More than 30 novels later, Sharon Draper is now a famous writer herself. And she's here to answer your questions, but only if you're a kid. Adults are welcome to listen, but on Kojo for Kids, we take kid callers only, so you can start calling now. Sharon Draper is a New York Times bestselling author and the former National Teacher of the Year. Her books include Out of My Mind, Stella by Starlight, Blended, and the Sassy series. Sharon Draper, thank you for joining us. Well, I'm delighted to be here. This is wonderful. It just occurred to me that having been a teacher, you may have been listening to the part of the conversation that we were having before. How would you feel now about having to go back into a classroom? I think it would be quite a challenge. Um, The online learning, the uh, questions about, you know, health and safety, the, you know, the dealing with children, it's very, very difficult. And I'm extremely supportive of the teachers and their efforts and what they're doing because they care and they want the kids to learn and they want to teach, but it's so hard right now. It is really, really difficult. Difficult both for teachers and for parents alike. But what were you like as a kid? Where did you grow up and what did you like to do? I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister and, you know, actually a very perfect childhood. There was a library walking distance from my house, and we went every single Saturday to the library where I checked out five or ten books because that was the max that you could get. And I read them all, and I took them back, and I read some more. And so I had read just about everything on the kids' side of our library by the time I was 11 or 12. Did you take them back on time? That was my problem. (laughs) I take five or six (laughs) books out of the library at a time, and I could never get them all back on time. (laughs) No, I got them back because I wanted more. (laughs) So I was a reader. I did not know I was going to be a writer, but I, I think in order to be a writer, you have to have read a lot of books and have a lot of words and ideas in your head. Indeed, because you really love to read and apparently were reading well above your grade level, I heard you got a special privilege at your local library. What was that? Oh, yes. Well, I had read everything on the elementary side, so the librarian said, go for it. And she gave me an adult card and let me check out books on the adult (laughs) side. Oh, that was glorious. (laughs) I discovered so many wonderful things on the adult side of the library. What were your favorite books as a kid? Uh, I don't really have any favorites. I liked historical fiction. I I know that I leaned toward that because it was so much easier than reading a history book. I could read a story about a girl during the Civil War and learn all about the Civil War because the author had already done the research. So I liked historical fiction, uh, but it was mostly fiction, very, not so much nonfiction, but mostly fiction books. And that's what formulated my eventually eventual writing I imagine you were a teacher for a long time what subject and what grades did you teach and what were you like in the classroom (laughs) I taught English language arts um, which um, kind of covers everything reading writing literature poetry Uh, I loved teaching poetry kids didn't like it so much at first but (laughs) 
uh, I started off with drums. We, I'd bring drums in the classroom and play drum beats. And they said, this lady's crazy. But <laughs> poetry is rhythm. And so once they understood that poetry is rhythm, then they, I could open them up to poetry. So we read lots of books and we read all of the classics because those were required. And then we read a lot of other books from the library that were not required but should have been. You weren't just a good teacher. You were the National Teacher of the Year, chosen from all the top teachers in all 50 states. That's a huge deal. What did you do to get that honor? <laughs> I don't know. My mother <laughs> says it. <laughs> the way my mother tells it is very different. But um, there, there was a local teacher of the year, and then there was state teacher of the year, and then each of the state teachers of the year, they had to go through a, a vetting process, and they chose me for the National Teacher of the Year. It was a wonderful year. I got to go to almost every single state. I got to go to uh, many, many countries. And I talked to teachers and students and librarians. And and uh, I saw schools and schools in jails and schools in apartment buildings and schools in high rises and rich schools and poor schools. But all of them were the same because uh, there were teachers who cared, and there were kids who needed to learn. And once you make that connection between teachers and kids, you've got it made. I really enjoyed that year. Sarah asks, do your books reflect you and your life in any way? I think every writer has to uh, can only write about experiences that they're familiar with. I couldn't write a story about someone going to the moon because I've never been to the moon and I could only read about it so it wouldn't be realistic. So things that, uh, you know, life experiences, things that happen in families, things that happen in schools, tragedies in schools, tragedies in families. Um, Happy books are nice, but books where terrible things happen are often more intriguing for the readers. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. You began to write fiction after one of your students gave you a challenge. What was that challenge, and what was the result? <laughs> this was not one of my best students. He, he said basically, hey, lady, you think you're so bad. Why don't you write something sometime? That were, those were his exact words. And uh, he gave me a, a, an application for it. was the Ebony Magazine uh, Johnson Gertrude Johnson writing contest that they used to do. And so I, I wrote For those a story. of our listeners who are not familiar with Ebony Magazine, Ebony Magazine was uh, produced by the Johnson Publishing Company, hence yes. the name Johnson. But go ahead. Yes, and it was it it was it's as in its time was stellar and in every family's living room that I knew. And anyway, they uh, they had this contest, and I entered the contest, and I didn't think much about it. Didn't take a long time writing the story. But it won first prize in the story, and it got published in a copy of Ebony Magazine. And, um, and I got to, you know, I got my picture in the paper, and I got all this no- notoriety, and I said, gee, I can write. <laughs> so I eventually took that story, and it's chapter one now of Forged by Fire. Wow. Um, but then you encountered what all writers encounter, and get to know very well, rejection? Not too much. Oh. Not too much rejection. Most of the books that I sent in, well, 
after the initial rejection, the very first book, it took a while for for somebody to say yes. I did get, uh, well, yeah, about <laughs> 20 or 30 rejections on the very first one. But once that first book came out, I didn't get any rejections after that. Fortunately for you, the teenagers in your books deal with some serious issues. Melody has cerebral palsy, Jericho faces intense peer pressure, Stella's town is threatened by the Ku Klux Klan. Why do you give your characters such a tough time? Because I think that is what in, what brings in a reader. Uh, if the character in the book has a challenge, then the reader can can identify with that. Lots of young people who read my books are going through some very difficult challenges in their life. And when they read about somebody else who finds a challenge, meets that challenge, and manages to figure out a way how to survive in spite of it, gives young people inspiration, I hope. So I write about kids with problems. You know, happy children are not, don't don't make good books. Children who have problems and overcome those problems uh, are, I think, more powerful stories. 11-year-old Jack from Washington, D.C. asks what your advice is about writer's block and how you deal with it. Hi, Jack. Uh, I think that uh, if you are writing and you get writer's block, you need to go do something else. You need to go outside. You need to get some exercise. You need to get some fresh air. You need to put the writing down and go do something else. Me, I eat ice cream, vanilla ice cream. <laughs> that's, that's my inspiration and my excuse. So whenever I get stuck, uh, it's time for an ice cream break. Well, hopefully you don't get stuck a whole lot because mm. you'd be consuming <laughs> a lot of ice cream. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about one of your works of historical fiction, Stella by Starlight, which takes place yes. nearly a century ago, but it's also your family's history. What inspired you to write it? Uh, when I was a little girl, we used to go every single summer to North Carolina to my grandmother's farm. And it was so different. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, big city. And her, my grandmother's town was a little bitty town nobody ever even heard of. And, you know, there were dirt roads and there was, everything moved slowly. Grandma fixed lemonade and we sat on the porch and said, what are we going to do next, Grandma? We're going to eat the lemonade. We're going to just sit here. You know, there was, there was a slowness and a, a, a wonderful pace of life. And so because I was so, I loved going there every summer. And all of my memories of what it was like sitting on that front porch, walking down the road, um, that became the setting for the story. And then I had to do research to find problems for the story, for this character to have. So every good historical fiction has to have the proper research. So I had to look up, I had to find what was actually going on in 1932 in North Carolina. That newspaper that I mentioned in the book is a real newspaper. Uh, all of the things, so it takes a long time to do historical fiction, to make it real, and then to make the character realistic so that young people care. You also write poetry. I'm wondering if you would read one of your poems for us. This one called Miracle Child. Miracle Child. I wrote this many, many years ago. But this was, um, the inspiration for this was that all children are special. And sometimes they don't feel that they are. So um, 
uh, I made the each child dressed in a different color, but that could be skin color, that could be the color of their their dress or their jacket. It could be anything to show that we are all different and yet we are all special. I'm a miracle child dressed in black. I'm dark, sweet licorice, an ebony melt snack. I'm a miracle child dressed in brown. I wear cocoa and fudge and a chocolate gown. I'm a miracle child dressed in tan. I sizzle bronze steam in a crunchy baked pan. I'm a miracle child dressed in gold. I'm honey bright liquid, sweet and caramel rolled. I'm a miracle child dressed in cream. I'm fluffed and I'm sprinkled, wrapped in sugar dipped dream. I'm a miracle child baked with smiles on my face. I'm grilled to perfection, dipped in gravy and grace. I'm a miracle child. I think all children are miracles, and they need to feel that and be appreciated as that. Exactly right. Sharon Draper reading Miracle Child. At the start of the coronavirus pandemic, your books kept popping up on lists of books for kids to read since they've got so much time on their hands. Now, your books are popping up on lists of books to read to learn about racism and bigotry. How do you think your books can be helpful to people during these historic, if troubled, times? I think anytime you can find a story that you can relate to, that you can say, this character is going through what I am going through, I think is important. Uh, Blended, for example, the main character, Isabella, is um, she's biracial uh, and her parents are divorced. And she spends one week at mom's house and one week at dad's house. So she's blended, but she's also split. And so her story and her struggle of trying to find herself as a young adolescent um, is the story. And a lot of young people can identify with that. I've had kids write to me and say, Mama, I'm a dad are divorced. We have the same thing. They don't understand what it's like to be me, to be half of mom and half of dad and have to please both of them. The, a lot of times parents don't realize how difficult that is for children. You were an English teacher, and I'm thinking that you may have taught Shakespeare's play Romeo and Juliet, but as a writer, you created your own version of the story. Tell us about it and why you decided to write it. Romeo and Juliet is probably one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, and so um, I wrote uh, Romeo and Julio, which was... which was kind of a a reversal on the story where um, Romeette is the, Romeette is the main character in the book, the girl. She's African-American. Julio is Hispanic and they kind of like each other at school. And so they have, uh, they have a problem um, simply because of their racial differences. And this was written long before all of the, racial upheaval that we've had recently, but it's still very applicable because kids don't care. Kids see each other for how they really are. Kids don't look for color the way sometimes adults do. Kids like each other because they like each other, and I think that's real important. Out of My Mind is one of your more popular books. Its heroine is Melody, who has cerebral palsy and cannot walk or speak, but who wants to make herself heard. Why did you write that book? Um, There are a number of young people who, and I've met so many of them, who have no voice. And whether they are have a disability or whether they 
uh, are just just feel silenced. There are they they want to be heard. It's important that they be heard. It's important that teachers realize that every single child has a heart and a mind and a desire and a wish and a will that sometimes they cannot express. So Melody stands for all of those kids who don't have a chance to uh, to speak up or to say what it is that's in their heart and on their mind. Um, there are, I mean, Melody has a physical disability, but there's an awful lot of kids who are silenced because of so many other things that are going on in their life. And I worry about kids who are at home in 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 you know, since the pandemic and schools have been shut and they don't have an outlet, they don't have any place to go, they don't have any respite or rescue from perhaps difficult home situations. So I hope that Melody is a voice for them. Sharon Draper, with any book of yours, what do you say when readers ask, what lesson did you want me to learn from this book? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I think if I like you want that. to teach a lesson, you write a Sunday school book. <laughs> I agree no, wholeheartedly. No, I, 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 what the characters learn in the books, the reader can take it or leave it. I don't care. That's not my point. Kids ask me that all the time. What did you want me to learn from this? I said, I don't know. What did you learn? Well, I learned this. Okay, good. That's what it was. You know, I put it out there, and whatever the reader takes from the story is wonderful and perfect and good because that's what you got out of it, so that's what you were meant to get out of it. But any author who purposely writes a story that says, thou shalt not, and this is what you better do, I don't do that. I don't do that. Sharon Draper is a New York Times bestselling author and the former National Teacher of the Year. Her books include Out of My Mind, Stella by Starlight, Blended, and the Sassy Series. Would you read with another one of your poems, which is a call-and-response poem called Reader's Rap? And please, 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 please let me participate. Okay, yes. <laughs> You've got your copy there? Yep. <laughs> Okay, I use this a lot of times at the end of an assembly. Oh, I miss assemblies. I miss being able to go to schools and have, you know, a hundred kids, you know, gathered around while we're reading and talking and celebrating. But this is often a poem that I would use at the very end to kind of inspire them to read. So I'll read the first part. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. In a book, I find the magic. In a book, I find the key. When I read, my brain is busy. When I read, my mind is free. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. In a book, I find the answers. In a book, I find the clues. When I read, I am the captain. When I read, I never lose. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. With a book, I have the victory. With a book, I have a friend. With a book, I am a champion. With a book, I always win. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, hey, hey, I read a book today. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. Say, yo, yo, I'm going to read some more. (laughs) Sharon Draper and the alleged host of this broadcast reading one of her poems. (laughs) Thank you, you very wonderful. much. Readers rap, right? I've been practicing a lot. <laughs> Can we look forward to another Sharon Baker Draper book soon? 
Uh, yes. Uh, you would think in, during the pandemic I would have written 17 books by now, but mostly I've just learned how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> and, and eat ice cream, but, eat more ice cream. <laughs> Yes, and ice cream, yes. But I am working on something that hopefully will be finished by the end of this calendar year. What is your work process? Um, I get up early in the morning, and I work because my brain is fresh early. And um, I work and I revise, and the hardest part of writing is revising. It's easy to write a story, but then you have to go back and you have to read every single page and every single paragraph and fix it and revise it and make sure that it's clear and make sure that you didn't overstate or understate or you didn't leave something out or this character makes sense. So revision is the hardest part of writing, and that takes up 80% of my writing time. Even though you're in... Revising. Even though you're no longer a teacher, you still have a homework assignment for our listeners. What is it? I do. (laughs) Well, because this... 2020 is a year like no other. And I think in 2040, we will all look back and say, oh my goodness, do you remember 2020? So I want young people and adults as well uh, to write their memories of 2020. Start with the, the how it started off as a normal year and how in March things started to change, how that changed their life. What changed for you? How you know? What does it mean not to have to go to school? Yay! There's no school, and then it's like, oh, I miss school, and you know what changes happened in your family? What was it like being stuck with your your little brother every single day um, for months and months at a time? So I want young people to write a journal of this year of 2020, and then in a year or two years or five years, when you go back and read that, you're going to say, oh my goodness, this was an important year. I'm so glad I wrote it down because I would not have remembered. I have been keeping a journal of this year, and I think everybody should do that because this is a year to remember. It's a unique year indeed. None of your books has yet been made into a movie. Do you think that could happen? Which do you think would work particularly well as a movie? Well, there's been some sniffles around out of my mind as a movie. Um, but the movie industry is shut down too, so uh, nobody's doing anything. But there has at least been uh, some interest. Uh, I would love to see all of them as movies, but a lot of times young people ask me, how come this book isn't a movie? And I said, when you read it, can you see the pictures in your mind? They said, yeah. I said, well, that's the movie. So sometimes the movie that is in your mind as a reader when you read a book is more powerful. Because a lot of times when they make a movie and we go see it, we say, oh, I like the book better. <laughs> Sharon so. Draper. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Sharon Bra- oh, Draper, so thank sorry. you so this much was, for joining us. This was delightful. Thank you so much for having me. More delightful for me. I got to be a performance poet. Sharon Draper is the New York Times bestselling author and the former National Teacher of the Year. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Kojo for Kids with author Sharon Draper was produced by Lauren Marco, and our conversation about how Fairfax schools plan to reopen was produced by Sidney Grannon. Coming up tomorrow, earlier this month, the Supreme Court ruled that the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects LGBTQ employees from sex discrimination in the workplace. We look at how the decision will impact employees in the Washington region. Then we'll talk about another high court ruling, preserving at least for the time being the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. We'll sit down with local DACA recipients to hear their reactions to the decision, as well as their plans for the future. That all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nam. The Kojo Namdi Show is produced by Julie Devenbrock, Sidney Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardner, Richard Cunningham, and Kayla Hewitt. Our managing producer is Monica Kashvi. Our engineer is Mike Kidd. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. 